Well, I want to welcome everyone to today's conversation. I am truly excited about the conversation we're going to have today. As many of you know, I started this channel because I wanted to study the intersect between trauma and spirituality and or trauma and religion. And we all know that, you know, church and faith and so forth like that is something that uh, we we look to to help us with damaging experiences. But sometimes we can't just pray it away. Sometimes you get into God's word and you wonder, why is it that I'm still hurting? And then we can look at God's word and say, is there something wrong with that? Or am I not doing it right? Or maybe I'm just too damaged. Maybe I got hurt too bad and now I am my pain and it's hard for us to recover our identity. And so I have a board certified psychiatrist who is going to literally help us with a book that she's writing and will be released soon on how to be unshackled. And literally the book is called Unshackled, Finding God's Freedom from Trauma. And literally this is what I am passionate about. My passion is helping people who carry damaging experiences to find freedom. And they don't have to go outside of God's word. They don't have to go outside of God's uh, way of, of, of healing us to find that freedom. They can find it within a relationship with God. And I think that's so important. I think psychology is good. I think psychology gives us a way to look at things, but I think what we ultimately come back to is our king, is our is our savior. And I think that we have to make sure that we have resources that help us to understand how healing works as it relates to a relationship with God. I'm really excited about this. This is one of those things where uh, we are going to get into a lot of different things. Uh, without further ado, Dr. Elizabeth Stevens, Welcome to the channel. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am as well. I am as well. Well, why don't you start with a little bit of your journey as it relates to your spiritual journey, your faith formation, and I'd love to know a little bit about what drew you into the profession. Of course. So I grew up in the church. I grew up in a small church with um, my brother was pretty much the only other kid in the youth group. So it's very tiny. Um, but my pastor, he had a PhD in history and he's very knowledgeable and I just soaked it all up from an early age. Um, kind of a nerd. I would sit in the front row, take notes at like seven. And I just, I, I loved it. And my dad would have devotions with, with me and my brother every night. And we would go through the stories of David and Goliath and Noah and, and all of these things. And it was just a really good time um, and really being able to connect with with my dad and my brother my mom was working a lot with as a NICU nurse so she was in the medical profession it's kind of how I got into the medical profession mm. but it was just very very much a part of my identity from an early age and I remember I was sitting on my brother's bed I was probably about four years old which is extremely young I know mm -hmm. <laughs> But I, my mom told me, like, she told me that, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? And even at that age, I knew I was a sinner. <laughs> I knew I did, <laughs> I did bad things, and I knew that I needed him to save me, and that it was a free gift, and I accepted that free gift for my salvation. So at, at an early age, really, I, I share the gospel with kids. I remember sharing the gospel with a girl in school. Her dad was dying of cancer and um, it was second grade. And so it was just very much a passion of mine. Mm. When, and, and looking back, so a lot of what I've learned about trauma is trauma uncovers deeper traumas that we haven't dealt with. Mm. And so when we're willing to go to God with them, he will illuminate what truly needs healed mm. and the priority of the healing. And so looking back on my faith journey, I, I remember a shift where I was extremely confident and then I wasn't. And, um, and so it, I, had, I have a tendency to bury traumas, to push them down, to move on because I have, I have a mission to do. I need to serve God. So I can't deal with this right now, but now I know that's part of the mission is actually dealing with those hurts and those pains because that's going to impede our mission. Mm. And so when um, I had, I was actually molested when I was younger and that's when I had that shift of confident to extreme insecurity. 
and how I found my security was through academics and through basketball. And so I poured myself into being the best basketball player I could be, getting straight A's, and and really um, that was kind of, and then also obviously following God. And so my whole faith journey from then on out up until my major trauma that I had was performance-based. It was, I have to prove my worth because deep down I felt like I was tainted, I was ruined. And so, and, and I didn't realize this until much later, was I was actually living out this life of, well, I have to act like everything's good and I have a great testimony, but inside I was hurting and suffering and very insecure. Mm. And so it wasn't until the major trauma that I had that I realized how I was living my life. Just really eye-opening experience of, wow, like I've, I've searched or I've sought my identity and achievements and goals, getting through med school, being an officer in the military, being a psychiatrist. Like I, I, that's where I found my identity and achieving instead of that God proved his worth for me on the cross and I'm worthy as I am and not in what I do. Mm. And so once, once I had my, the trauma where I couldn't perform. I couldn't read for three years without getting a migraine. So I couldn't work. I couldn't, I couldn't really do much at all. I couldn't give anything to God because I, I just didn't have the capacity. That's, that's when I truly learned, wow, like God loves me for me, not with what I can give him, but as I am. And once I started to learn that, that's when I had a major amount of freedom of wow, like I no longer have to prove my worth. I no longer have to strive mm. and and try to be the person that everyone else around me thinks I need to be or who I thought God need, thought I needed to be. And so that was that was a major breakthrough in my faith journey. Oh wow. I whoa. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I, I tell you, usually I hand people the baton to explain their story, but typically I'm not that moved when someone opens up. I just, that, that is incredibly moving. And let me just say, I can really identify. Um, I, initially when you'd brought up the basketball part, I was like, Hmm, I, that was really fast. Cause I played basketball too. And you talk about getting our worth, uh, confused and performance and so forth. And it's cool that you you did basketball and stuff. You're in the military. My wife is in the military as well. And so it's interesting. Our culture gives us all of these things to absorb into for identity, for security, for significance. And every single one of those things fails when the big thing happens, right? It's like, right. And, and now all of a sudden we don't know, we have no clue who we are. And we are supposed to because we're a Christian and we're supposed to have this or that figured out because, you know, we've been in the church, whatever may have you. So I just, I love that you just shared that. And um, I love the other part that you shared, which is when we get damaged, we, we usually think that that's the thing that we need to heal when the reality is it's what's underneath that. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. profound. So in terms of, of writing the book, uh, you, I mean, I can hear it, everything's kind of moving towards this, the signature moment. Right. And uh, I can't remember what year you said it was in, but it feels like the book is connected to the big, I'm going to say big T trauma, but that big trauma that happened. Can you explain a little bit of uh, why you wrote the book and where that trauma fits in? So, yeah, the, the major trauma happened in 2015. Okay. And I was... So there were two traumas that actually happened. I had a traumatic brain injury. Within a month of that, I was raped. And so I couldn't process the rape because of my traumatic brain injury. I just, I wasn't able to truly understand. And I, I was, I'm pretty sure I was trying to protect myself from having to deal with that on top of the traumatic brain injury. So my major focus was the tbi for two years so as a psychiatrist this is how strong denial is i didn't know i had post-traumatic stress disorder for two and a half years 
And so it wasn't until, I mean, I had multiple psychological testings. I had, I had seen multiple providers. No one picked up on it until a psychologist actually had a conversation with me instead of going through a screening. She just, she just had a conversation with me and that's what brought it out. And so, um, I, I really focused on the traumatic brain injury initially. Um, and when I was focused on that, it was just this whole, this huge paradigm shift of, I was very high achieving. I was go, go, go. I, every moment of my day had to be productive, whether Mm. it was, um, so I moved to Colorado and my goal was to climb all, uh, 58, 14,000 foot peaks. (laughs) the first year. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, so when I wasn't working, when I wasn't studying, I was climbing mountains. So it was just like everything or, you know, serving at the church, like it had to be something productive because that was part of my identity and I didn't realize it. And so when all of that was stripped, I prayed and I said, God, please help me not waste this. And, and it was, he, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't let me waste it. Um, but it was just like that, that major hit to my identity and to everything, every part of me, I wanted other people to learn from my experience. I didn't want it to just be me alone dealing with it. I wanted God to use me as a vessel of healing for others. Share a little bit about, <clears throat> uh, if you could, the the TBI I I think if you're listening right now this whenever we talk about TBI traumatic brain injury it's a really big deal uh, I've gotten calls from ministers uh, and they're trying to deal with a situation that involves uh, you know a minister who is let's say not performing well whatever may have you and they're like okay well I'd like to send them to this or that or whatever and so when I when I hear when I hear that there has been a traumatic brain injury. Uh, typically, it has to do with a military referral that I get, oftentimes. But when it's not, regardless, my approach immediately is we we have to address it. Uh, traumatic brain in- injury is a major shift in how a person functions. It it it's it's not something to be ignored. If you're listening to this right now, it's something that you'll hear more and more as you study trauma. Um, but it is a um, it's a real thing that has to be included into the process. And so could you just for a moment uh, talk about specifically how the traumatic brain injury and the nature of what that is affected your process? So with, and a lot of people don't understand that traumatic brain injury, if you have a concussion where you lose consciousness and that's, that's really, um, I mean, that's a significant hit to your brain. And um, a lot of the mild TBI, so I had a mild TBI, I didn't have major damage, I didn't have um, major bleed or anything like that, but it's the mild TBIs that go under the radar Mm. because people don't see specific damages. People don't see, um, I mean, I I had a big gash on my face, but I mean, that's pretty much all they could see. The residual from that, I developed intense migraines so there's, there's regular migraines that people can um, typically identify as just throbbing pain on one side of your, of your head. Well, I developed that on top of vestibular migraines and those not very many people know about. I didn't know about as a physician, hmm. um, but it's, it's, a, it's a small, smaller percentage of migraines, but you get these, these dizzy spells nausea, vertigo. So, and I, and and it wasn't identified until about two and a half years later as well. Every time I read or I tried to read, I couldn't even read a restaurant menu. It would throw me into a vestibular migraine. And so the, the traumatic brain injury, um, it causes an inflammatory cycle where it, it causes a, it's, it's really difficult to heal if you don't give yourself rest, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't go through proper speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, different things like that. And a lot of people who, if they get a concussion, they, they lose consciousness briefly. They, like me, I can get back into it. 
I can go to work on Monday when this happened on Saturday. Um, and so I, I, I started vomiting and I couldn't keep anything down. And when I went to the doctor, he said, you're going to be on brain rest for the next month. And so I probably would have just tried to push through it and ignore it and keep working had I not had that physical, those physical limitations. And so people, especially now with all of the technology, people are on their phones all the time. People are on their computers all the time. Mm. Brain rest is no electronics. How oh, hard is that in today's society? That's huge. I've never heard that before. Say more a little. Say a little bit more about that, because I'm, I'm actually my interest is really peaked around that. Wow. So when um, when someone develops a concussion, there's an inflammatory cascade. There's a lot of um, healing that needs to take place. I mean, your brain obviously is extremely important. You you can have a um, an injury where your brain shifts, and you can have tears in. Um, tears that are hard to see you have to have specific MRI imaging to see but um, but in order for recovery you can't keep using and stimulating your brain like you could you need to slow that down rest and let your brain heal and so I I really couldn't use any electronics other because I would throw up pretty much if I looked at a computer if I looked at my phone severe headaches and things like that. So that limited me um, just physically. But people, um, it's, people have a difficulty being able to sustain attention. Or if, they, or if they're looking at their phone, having a conversation, maybe they can't find words. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of different symptoms that can happen from TBIs. One TBI is not the same as another. Yeah. And so it's just recognizing what the deficits are. It took me, it took me a long time before, like, just even having a, a over a five minute conversation without starting to slur my speech or really having difficulty. Like I couldn't come up with the word bench. And, um, I went to, I went to rehabilitation and tried to do occupational, physical speech therapy. And one of the questions that the speech therapist asked me and my mom was there with me and she, she was just shocked. Um, she said, Bob went to the lake before school, threw three rocks in the lake, then went to school. How many rocks did he throw in the lake? I, I could not identify how many number of rocks he threw in the lake. Mm. So it was, it was very, it was pretty bad. And so, and then on top of that was the other trauma and so, you know, additional trauma on top of that trauma increases the inflammatory cascade. And so, in, and then after that, there were, I, I ended up going to another um, rehab place, got a lot of gains from it, had a seizure right after. And so lost a lot of those gains. And then four months after that, I was in a car wreck when a deer ran in front of the car, I was in the back seat, totaled the car, had another concussion. So it was just like one thing on top of another, on top of another. And when you've had one concussion and you have another one on top of that pretty close in proximity, um, it's a lot harder to heal and it can be very dangerous. That's why with football players, there's, there's the risk for, um, having major complications because they have concussions they don't even know it or they keep playing in the game and there's concussion after concussion after concussion and so it just builds upon itself and, and that what and what's really dangerous about that is the end product uh can be uh depression that leads to suicidality later like this is real and really right. really 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 serious and and this this kind of makes me think of i love that you're kind of talking about the complexity because complex trauma is exactly kind of what we're talking about. It's not just one type of trauma. Complex trauma is even just about the intensity of the trauma. Complex trauma is about a duration over a period of time. And so what you're describing to me is setting the stage for absolute disaster if you don't get the right type of healing. Right. And I did have suicidality I did have severe depression. I did have, uh, obviously, PTSD. 
um, there was, it was this huge dark storm that hit me and it was the only hope that I had was holding on to God through it all. And I didn't have, um, I didn't have a strong community at that time. I had just moved to Denver and um, had just started a new church and it was, um, it had few friends here. And so pretty much just had my, my mom flew in right after it happened and she stayed with me for a while. And she's as a nurse of 35 years, she, she knew how to take care of me. She knew how yeah. to navigate the healthcare field, which is another major problem, especially if you, if you have a traumatic brain injury, you can't read. How are you going to navigate insurance, healthcare, all of that kind of stuff? And so she was, she was definitely a gift from God um, to to help me to help navigate me through that. But it was, um, it was a very isolating experience. And when you don't know that many people who've had traumatic brain injuries, um, I was stationed here by myself, going through a child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship. Um, through the Air Force, and so I didn't have any military members that I could talk to or be around, and so it was a very, um, trauma is very isolating in and of itself, and um, it's very dangerous when you keep it to yourself. Hmm. So share a little bit more about, so this, I want to come back to this community piece, because the community piece is really a dynamic uh, sort of dilemma. Like it, there's a lot to community when it comes to healing. I want to come back to that. I think that one of one of the things that I'd like is to understand a little bit of your framework for healing, because you know, as a um, psychiatrist, you do look through a clinical lens, but as a Christian, mm-hmm. you you look through a spiritual lens. And so, what was the framework that involved both of those? So I, I went to an osteopathic medical school. Um, so it's more of that holistic healing. So a lot of people don't really know too much of a difference between an MD and a DO, but DOs, they're a little bit more, um, open to spirituality, um, instead of just medicine, surgery and that kind of thing. And so that really helped have a supportive environment for me to, not only they talk about the biopsychosocial model, so biological, social, psychological. Um, I add spiritual to that. So you can't just like if with as with medicine, there are a lot of hormonal imbalances. There are a lot of other issues that can contribute to depression. So if you have hypothyroidism, you're an underactive underactive thyroid, that can cause severe depression and you treat the thyroid, depression goes away. And so there's that biological side. Obviously there's a psychological side, there's a social side with community. It could be adverse or it could be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so it's teasing out, okay, what are, what are the main problems going on? Is your community helpful or is it hurtful? How do we navigate through that? Spirituality piece is absolutely necessary and that can be helpful for, you know, a lot of people, especially if you know the truth and you're, you're following Christ and you, um, you have that supportive discipleship environment helping you along in your, in your faith journey, or it can be destructive if you have, um, examples. So for me, I going through my traumatic experience, I was, I, deep down, I was angry at God, but I refused to acknowledge that. Mm. I was upset that he allowed the the rape to happen. Um, and then, but at the same time, I was angry at myself because I blame myself for it. And so the psychological piece would be me me blaming myself, having a cognitive, what's called a cognitive distortion, a distorted thought that... I was the one who allowed this earth, who caused this to happen. Spiritually, being angry at God or being upset or saying, well, I can't trust God anymore because he allowed this to happen. So that 
those two things were actually what probably impeded most of my healing. Had I not gone through those, those pieces and processed through those things and realized, okay, these, these are both distorted thoughts. One's a, <clears throat> probably what's called, well, what would, we would call a moral injury, which is like a soul wound that I have this belief in God that he's not for me. He's not my advocate. Therefore, that's going to really impair my relationship with him. That's really going to impair my walk with him. That's really going to um, cause me to make decisions in line with that that are going to lead me to a destructive path. And so it was, it's, if, if, unless I, had I not identified the spiritual piece, I would not be where I am today. That was probably the biggest piece that um, allowed me to have that breakthrough. And so when you're, when you're working through any kind of healing, um, it's, it's recognizing what are your underlying beliefs? Like, what do you really believe? Not what you should believe, but what do you really believe? <clears throat> I think that that's really... That's key. Uh, I, I call it our gut theology. And this, you know, for many of us, we have a grit theology and that's kind of the push through no matter what, what do you, why, why would you complain? You're, you're lucky to be alive. You should be in hell. You know, these damaged self concepts that we have, um, sometimes that come from the people that raised us, a, a, a caregiver, um, regardless, uh, that gut theology of what we really believe about God is is something that does go under the radar. Um, I have something that I say, and I will say it at the end of this interview, which is that we are with you and God is for you. I think that there is incredible dissonance between the fact that we are a sinner, that we are we have a sinful nature, we have parts of us that are rebellious and so forth, but that God claims us holy, like completely claims us, adopts us with, with no crevices of uncertainty. Like God doesn't have self-esteem issues. <laughs> Um, regardless, uh, we, we, we're like the biggest risk is to trust that God is for us. It's, it's, and the moral injury I actually was on a call yesterday and someone brought mm. this up. It, that's that most people don't even know what that is. Um, I think another part of moral injury is when let's say, uh, you cause harm and then it's like, mm. I, you know, we struggle to forgive ourselves for things. Right. Um, but regardless, I love what you're saying about being able to really, go all in with God. If, if we, if we think that we trust God, I think it's important to ask deeper questions. Um, you know, what would it take for, for me to lose that trust or whatever? And then we go through a situation like you've you know been through and I've had those happen too, where there is anger, but to your point, Maybe there's a weakness in the relationship, or maybe we've made some assumptions about our relationship with God, and we're not willing to ask the question, or we're too afraid that if we're mad at God about something, that he won't accept us anymore, or that if I'm mad at God, then that's all he'll see. No, actually, we see at the end of Job, um, and I brought this up in another interview, at the end of Job, the thing that God really wanted was that just honest relationship with Job. He, he, he wanted Job to say anything uh, to him. And it was never something that he punished Job for. He never punished Job for his lament. He never punished Job for questioning things. Uh, in fact, that was a part of the relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we look at Jesus and he, uh, you know, he had a moment, uh, you know, where it's like he got really human, but he pushed through. And so, you know, I just think there's this grit theology. There's this gut theology. People don't really have permission uh, to, to get really real with God and they need it. And that's why I'm so glad that you're kind of talking what you're talking about. Cause I think there's some people who need to hear that you were mad at God and they needed, they, they need to hear what came next. <laughs> what did you do with that? How did that work? So, yeah, so it took me, I mean, two and a half, <laughs> two and a half years was kind of like after the, the trauma was kind of my major healing breakthrough point where mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was basically God was illumin- started to illuminate things. Hmm. And it was, it was at a point where 
I, I was going to specialty, specialist after specialist after specialist. I was in the hospital. I was seeking healing. I, I wanted to get back to work. I wanted to be functional again. I wanted to serve God again. And it was, it felt like the movie Groundhog Day. Every day you wake up, you try to read, you can't. It's the same thing over and over again. And so I got, I finally got to the point and I was sitting in a church service and it was at a tree, it was a church outside of a treatment center that I was at. And the pastor looked straight at me and he said, some of you are angry at God. And that's when I realized, because I just started bawling and I'm like, why am I crying? I'm not angry at God. And it was like my soul was crying out saying, you, you are angry at God. So first was that, you know, maybe I can't trust him to keep me safe. The other was, I'm angry that he's not healing me. And so there were multiple levels of the anger just kind of built upon itself. And it wasn't until that moment where God spoke through that pastor. I have like, he didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. It was just some random church. And it all came, it, it all came, became clear that I was angry and I needed to let that go. And, and so I decided at that moment, God, you're, you're in control. You're all powerful. You love me more than life itself. And you prove that on the cross. You gave everything for me. So you are trustworthy. You are worth my trust. And no matter what happens, no matter what I, my understanding is human understanding is faulty. Human understanding is fallible, yeah. but God's is not. And so I chose him above my healing at that moment. I chose him above my perceived safety and security. And that's when I started to have a breakthrough and shift. And I prayed and I said, no matter if I receive healing or not, I'm going to still follow you. I'm going to still trust you. And I think when, when I come to that point in different parts of my life where I'm willing to give something up that I, I'm really wanting and really desiring, and I say, God, I want you more than this, that's when amazing breakthrough happens. That's when I find tremendous freedom. And so that's when I was able to acknowledge my anger. So that was the first step, <laughs> actually acknowledging that it was there. Second step was being able to trust God with it and let go. That is, I think for some people, that part of the process is very mysterious. You know, what you've just described was a journey over a period of time, you know, and I think for some people, it feels like there's this ladder, this huge, tall ladder with no rungs. Mm. <laughs> it's like, okay, how do you go from here to here? Right? Life by the life by the yard is hard, but life by the inch is a cinch. And so it's mm -hmm. kind of like, how do we, cause some people are struggling to even like go one, one, one rung. Mm -hmm. Other people, another. And so what I'm hearing in your journey, a couple things is one little step for you was, God, I'm mad at you. I'm angry. And some, like somebody had to help you with that. That was a spirit yeah. helping, working through, you know, through someone else. So that was one little, one little step. Another one feels like, okay, God, um, understanding versus trust. <laughs> we see this mm -hmm. in Philippians, uh, peace that transcends understanding that, the way the Greek is kind of working there is that peace is un, is better than understanding. It's comparative. So if you got peace and you got understanding, then that that peace that comes from trusting God that He knows why. Like with Job, he Job was never given the reason. God knew, but Job was never given the reason. But there's still trust. There was a lack of understanding, but there was trust. And so maybe that's for someone else. That's another rung. Okay, I don't understand. I don't get it. But God, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that Jesus, when he was in this position and he had to make a really, really big choice, he trusted you enough to make that decision. And if Jesus trusted you, then I'll trust you. And maybe that's another little rung for them. So again, I just, I think when we're hurting, we can only take one step at a time. <laughs> and it feels like you took those steps. Right. And I didn't always take those steps. <laughs> so, so my journey was a lot of ups and downs and yeah. 
it was a lot of um, really horrible decisions mm. to help me identify how powerful God's grace is and how Oof. powerful his forgiveness is. And it was so up until the, tra the trauma, my life was filled with, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to teach Sunday school. I'm going to run groups. I'm going to do everything that God wants me to do. But I'm not going to deal with the real issues that are going on because I don't want to see the darkness within me. Ooh. I can't handle it. And I couldn't handle it because I didn't truly understand how much God's, how powerful God's grace was, how powerful his love was, and how unconditional his love is. Wow. I, I didn't understand that yet. I was still trying to prove my worth through trying to, to be a virgin until I was married. Mm. So that was a huge one. When that was taken from me, I literally felt like a part of my soul died. Like it was, I, I, it was extremely painful for me. And so it was, it was, it's those moments when it's your, your exterior that you built, the walls that you built to show people, oh, I'm worthy to show God I'm worthy where he doesn't need any of that. He, he sees your worth through the blood of Christ. But once those things start to chip and crack, where do you turn? Mm. Do you avoid? Do you try to put something else on there? Do you turn to alcohol or do you turn to something to cover it up? Or do you turn to, well, I, I'm not, I don't have this anymore. So I'm going to have something else that I can prove my worth with. Mm. And so I, I made a lot of decisions based on trying to strive and prove my worth in that kind of a, uh, like a Pharisee mentality yeah. of, well, if I'm doing X, Y, and Z, that'll cover up all this other stuff. So I never really dealt with the other stuff. And so during this journey of, um, of darkness, of suicidal thoughts, of, um, deep depression of anger of, I was not, I was not a good person to my mom. She was there unconditionally loving me, taking care of me. And I was very irritable, bitter, resentful that I had to have someone take care of me. I was independent for so long and now I lost my independence. And so there were a lot of bad decisions I made where I wasn't moving up on that spiritual ladder. And, um, there's, there was forgiveness there for me all along mm -hmm. and God was just waiting for me to, to see the light. And, and during the whole time, I mean, I, I, all I could do was listen to the Bible app, listen to podcasts, just really, um, soak in scripture. But even while doing that, I mean, I made horrible, horrible decisions and it was coming to setback after setback. In my mind, I felt like if I just hold on a little bit longer, like, and I was praying, I'm like, God, I can't hold on any longer. I, I mm. literally can't do this anymore. And I held on a little bit more and God would come through with some kind of breakthrough, some kind of healing, something would happen to where it would increase my faith. And so sometimes it's not the big things that happen. Sometimes it's just, I just need another day. I can do another day. I feel like I can't do another day, but I'm going to, and I'm going to trust God that he will be there for me that tomorrow. And that's really all I had for a long time through that journey. There were probably like four, four days of breakthrough over three years, which were <laughs> extremely powerful. Yeah. But every other day was darkness and pain and suffering. And it was, God, I still am going to follow you even though I'm suffering. And that's really the only thing that got me through. It, and the breakthroughs were just like gifts of grace that God, that God gave me that um, allowed me to be able to help others um, in, in similar situations where it's like, wow, this is amazing wisdom that I wish I had a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to say, as you were talking, I was like, 
on the I was on the edge. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was on the edge of tears because you're putting into words what our soul experiences. Like our soul is just as part is just as much of a part of our humanity as our body. And I feel like as you were talking, I just was like, oh my gosh, I have been there. I guarantee right now there are those of you who are wiping your eyes right now because you know what she's talking about. You know that sometimes you're just trying to get through the day. You know that there's times where the darkness scares you and it feels like it's bigger than the light. It's darker and it it's our identity. There are people who are listening to this right now who have gotten damaged and their lives are controlled by pain. Um, there are those watching right now who feel so ashamed because they're not at the top of the ladder and things have happened to us and we blame ourselves for those things too because we feel like if we're a Christian, then, you know, then we're super, we're, and, you know, and, and this is the lie from the enemy. Here it is. The lie from the enemy is that you're more than that. Right, that you you can be more than human, <laughs> and I find that your journey feels very human. But you know, like all of us, we try to be more than that, and then something comes along, and it doesn't knock us down to below human. It just knocks us down to being human. And uh, I think in Jesus's life, there are many experiences that really we can see his humanity because of what he went through. But I, I just. On an emotional level right now, I'm really feeling what you're saying. I I felt that this year for myself. Um, there's times where I'm like, okay, how, like the Groundhog Day. And so I think even there's this myth. I love this. I put the myth of breakthrough. I think there's this myth around breakthrough. In three years or whatever, four breakthrough. I mean, that's it. Like if you're listening to this right now and you're wondering about the path, Literally, Ellie just said it, which is you go through life and you're doing your best. And there are these moments of breakthrough that will lead to healing, but sometimes we don't even recognize it. Um, and I love what you said. One more thing, because there's just so much that you said. One thing that you said that I just thought was so true is that we're in the, sometimes when we get damaged, we make really bad spiritual decisions in, in very fundamentalist uh, groups and, you know, institutions. And I, I'm, I'm a part of a group that, you know, uh, traditionally has been just super fundamentalist. Sin is seen as um, something that's not a part of the process. And this, I'm not saying, you know, Paul says, hey, you know, um, leave, you know, we're not going to go back to sin. You know, uh, grace teaches us to say no. So I'm not saying that this is permission to sin, but I think sometimes people get more focused on the sin than they do the wound. And so the wound is something that God sees. He doesn't just see the sin, he sees the wound. And I think that grace, um, there's and the other thing, last thing I got is just, there's so much grace, you know, I, we, we get so fixated on the sin, but you know, God took care of perfection so we could focus on the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I really hear that at the end of all of this, your need to be perfect was eliminated because God just wanted you to focus on the relationship and, and the perfection is something he took care of 2000 years ago. I mean, that, that's been done, right. but now you've come to this understanding of God and yourself. And it sounds like to me, the outcome of that has been more freedom. For sure. Yes. It's so what I've learned, another thing that I've learned is that when I sin, I go to why, hmm. why did I sin? What is, what, what part of my heart is broken or hurting that led me toward this path? And when I go to, when I go to God with it, and it's not only God, I confess that I did this, forgive me. It's help, help me to understand why I did this and empower me. So I don't do this again. It's not beating myself up that, that I, I sinned and living in that punishment. God took the punishment for me already. It's okay. How can I learn from this after I sinned? What is, what is broken in my heart? Is it jealousy? Is it, is is, is it something deeper that it needs healing that led me to that sin? And so I think most of the time, or a lot of times we focus on the sin and like, oh, wow, I can't believe I did that. 
which is pride, right? Like, yeah. I can't believe I could have done something like that. And so wow, going to that's, the that's heart huge. issue of, okay, why? God, show me why. And a lot of times it's from something 10 plus years ago hmm. that I haven't fully dealt with. Once I deal with that, I don't have that desire to go back to that sin. I mean, not, not all the time, but there's certain things that it, that's the breakthrough moment when we're real with ourselves and we're real with God and we ask him and invite him in that space. That's when breakthroughs happen because we're willing to be vulnerable. So my audience, another kind of aspect of, of a lot of the folks that I, that I, uh, you know, just kind of work to provide content for is that when you had talked about, um, your, the way you kind of engineered your life, uh, the terminology that I would use um, would be you were sharp. Um, you were someone who was very sharp, someone who was very intelligent, someone who's very driven, ambitious. And in the culture um, that many of my viewership uh, is is was sort of uh, formed in was that that was the goal and that was pleasing to God is to to be a hyper driven person, to be someone who is conquering, um, for God, a very, a very conquering type, you know, mission type theology. And there's kind of this drivenness of, you know, we start to measure a lot of the, the things around spirituality. We, you know, did you have your quiet time? Um, how's your prayer life? It, it, it put, it's now put on a conveyor belt and is measured and packaged and, you know, and then, you know, it, sometimes people then, uh, the structure kind of says, well, let's raise those people up. And now those people become kind of the, the goal, like those, those become the, and so the reason why I say that is because many of my viewers have never really learned how to trust God without the system. Uh, it just, the system provides a certain level of security, uh, the system of measuring spiritual, health and progress and development is is our way of doing relationship with God in many ways. And so there are certain people who are reflective of my viewership who've had to tear themselves away from, you know, that paradigm of, of doing, you know, Christianity. Others who were still in it, but who were trying to differentiate themselves while not completely tearing themselves away. And so the performance trap is something that is baked in pretty deep and hard um, for many of the folks who especially have been Christians for a long time. I mean, that, that was just a part of the, uh, the experience of being a Christian. And so it just kind of feels like in a similar way, you, you know, you're in the air force. You, I mean, you were sharp. I mean, there's just no way to, to way you're brilliant. It's just that simple, but that's not why God saved you. And I think for so many of us, we can idolize our spiritual gifts, our talents, the things that we want to do for God become more important than the things we do with God. Mm. And he's not really interested in what we're doing. I mean, he, he says that I desire mercy over sacrifice, that he's, he prefers mercy over it. So it's like, what, what, what? But we, we put ourselves on the altar. We put ourselves on the cross and think that, that he wants the act, but he really wants is the relationship, but it's hard to trust that Ellie. And so For what sure. gave, what gave you permission to trust that he wanted relationship over performance? Because for many of us, we stay saved if we keep performing, <laughs> you see what I mean? Like that, that feels mm -hmm. like our Christianity is kind of based off of performance and we don't have permission to, to be with God. Mm -hmm. And, and performance, I mean, it's not only, so my my grandpa was a police officer for 42 years. My uncle was a police, just retired. My cousin was a police officer. So my mom grew up under a, a dad. Her dad was a cop her whole life. Mm. Um, so performance regimen, really the externals. And then I joined the military. My, my grandpa was also in World War II. And it's, it's all about performance. It's all about, so it, in school is all about performance. It's what grades are you going to get? How are you going to achieve? Are you the best in your class? Are you, what, what are, where is your rank? And so it's, it's really hard to get away from that just in the world, let alone with 
um, with Christian circles that, yes, we, we want tangibles. We want a list. We want something that we can check off and say, okay, yes, I have security that I did that today. Within relationships, it's, it's less tangible. It's more of that, um, it, it's actually less, or it's actually more, more effort and more vulnerability and more transparency to connect with someone, even in, even within human relationships, it's connecting with other people, working through conflict, having someone mirror your faults and your darkness that we don't want to mm. see. And it's just, it takes, it's, it's more intrusive than checking off lists. And, and I always think of the Mary and Martha story when Martha is just slaving away in the kitchen, Jesus is there and, and Mary's at his feet and she's complaining about Mary, Mary's not working. And he says, she's chosen the best. She's chosen better because it's a relationship piece. And so I think it was, it, for me, I was blocking God in my relationship with him through my performance. Wow. So thinking that performing was going to connect me more to him, it was actually blocking him from my heart. And it wasn't until... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <it> seriously. Wasn't... <laughs> it wasn't until... Um, so it was this, this long journey. So I, I had this abusive relationship. Mm. And, and, and you can... It's more, more is in the book that you can kind of identify details and, and what happened. But I chose this man above God because I wanted to make what I did wrong, right. I wanted to redeem myself. I wanted to redeem everything that happened through making him my husband, through turning him into an amazing Christian. And so it was this it was all about performance. It was all about my appearance and how I looked and how I, I could manipulate the situation to make him turn him into this, the person that I was supposed to marry. God had a, another person for me. Amazing. <laughs> but it's, um, it was when I made that decision and I chose him above God, I felt like that was such a horrible, dark sin that, you know, almost unforgivable, which no sin is unforgivable, but it was this, this thought of, wow, like if God forgave me of this, he will forgive me of anything. If I'm willing to acknowledge what I truly did and where, how dark my heart was at that moment, then, and God's love is more powerful than that, then I can acknowledge anything. I don't have to cover anything up anymore. And Mm. I think I was covering up all of my hurt, wounds, vulnerabilities with performance. Hence, I was blocking God from those areas of my heart. I 100% personally can see that in my life. It's interesting, you know, becoming a counselor, we can hide in that. We, it's a one-way relationship oftentimes. It's someone comes in and, and I get to be this person who does all these amazing things, sometimes just by listening, sometimes just by being a safe place, whatever. And then I, I, I can feel like, oh, I, I, I'm good because, you know, people think I'm good or whatever. And then there's this aspect of when it's just you and all the insecurities sort of seep out and you can't hide from you. And you're just like, man, I'm just full of flaws or whatever. I am my past, whatever. And it's like we, we try to do things to perform out of our insecurity. And I just, for me, I think this year has given me permission to be in relationship with God and relationship Mm -hmm. is a contact sport. And I think that in in a lot of ways, um, God is just like, he doesn't need my performance. And I, I, it's disorienting because it's like, well, then how do I relate to you? And there are many of you who are listening right now who you know, you know, we were going to save the world for God and, and plant a church all over the place. And instead of just doing our part um, and being in relationship with him, it's we want to we want to perform for God. And it kind of makes me think of Naam in the Bible and um, 
just this idea of like if if he would have been asked to go do something really huge. I think it's Second Kings seven. Go do something really huge. He would have done it, but it's like go go bathe in the water for seven times, mm. and that saddened him. <laughs> the rich young ruler in the New Testament. Jesus wanted relationship. He didn't he he didn't want a curriculum vita. He didn't want the resume. He wanted a relationship. The man walks away sad. And so some of us who have allowed our identity to be consolidated into performance are going to really, like myself at times, struggle because the one thing that God wants is, you know, he wants, he wants relationship. And when we're used to performing and getting accepted for that, I think in some ways we'll probably continue to create more measurables because that helps us to feel secure. That makes us feel like if I create a measurable, then then I have God's approval through that. And we don't. And then something like what happened to you happens, which is God allows us to be stripped down so we can do relationship. And I think sometimes that's what's so hard about our situations. Our situations are there to make us relational. Um, They're not there to break us down and wound us necessarily, at least in the way I think about God. It's more, it's there so that we can be fully available for relationship. And I I gotta be honest, I have a... Ellie, I have a ways to go in this area. I'm, oh, I'm not there. <laughs> Ta- well, but I'm serious. Talking to you has, I just feel the spirit kind of just showing me like, this is where you need to really go. And I've, I've got a plan coming up in the next couple of months to kind of just get off the grid and and really just kind of get into my soul. Like I, I kind of feel like I'm always going and giving and I'm not really, not really getting deep in there the way mm-hmm. I need to sometimes. So I, I just truly appreciate that a lot. Good. Yeah, I recognizing the importance of relationship and really, really wanting to help other people find that. And, mm. and that's a big, so I, I started a nonprofit advancing warriors to help veterans and first responders connect with each other and connect with God most importantly. And so it's really that relatable aspect is, is huge if you're if you're not real and authentic and you know if if someone looks like oh i have it all together i'm perfect in every way no one's really probably going to listen to them that much they're not Mm going to trust them they're not going to think that they're someone that is approachable and so group settings and and it's really important like we, we we talked about community can be destructive or it can be extremely supportive. Mm-hmm. When you have a community of people who are willing to be vulnerable, who are willing to open up, who are willing, willing to be themselves, that's extremely powerful. And you're able to do a lot of work in that space. And so uh, created these groups and I have um, three different curriculum. One, one is soon to come, it's, it's almost finished, but the first one is called Tribe really helping people identify barriers to healing, really helping people learn how to abide in Christ, really helping people understand it's not your performance that God wants, it's your heart, it's that mm. relationship. And identifying like, what does it look like to follow Jesus as a leader, as your commander? Mm. And um, how can God redeem my story? Is my story redeemable? And really working through scripture and empowering each other through the Holy Spirit um, that's where, I mean, I've seen amazing healing and transformation happen. And in my book, there's some of those stories of people who've gone through the nonprofit who, how they found healing and transformation through that journey. And those are very difficult populations because there's a lack of trust in humanity based on what they've seen. There's, um, they can't open up on the job or they'll get fired or, they'll be discharged from the military if they share certain things. And so it's important for them to have some kind of outlet where they can be themselves and they can see, oh, this person's struggling with the same thing. That empowers me to actually talk through this and to find the healing that I need. And so that's um, group settings, given the right group, given the right setting, surrender to God and really inviting God to work in that space are extremely powerful. And um, so that's that's why I, I didn't have that community. I didn't have that space. And that's why I, I feel like God called me to create that. 
I'm going to put that down in the description. Um, the other thing I want to make sure that I do is I let people know a little bit about when your book's coming out and so forth. Focus on the family actually approached you about writing this book, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually talking to them about the nonprofit and helping veterans and first responders. And I shared my story and kind of how I got to that point. And they said, well, you need to write a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what started. I mean, I, I had it on my radar that, wow, like I need to, I need to put this down in writing so that I can help others with it. Um, but they made it a lot easier for me to do. So wow. that's good. Oh, I'm so excited. It comes out on the 4th of October, right? Right. I'm excited. I am thrilled and I cannot wait to put it in my Patreon community. If you're a Patreon community member, um, you will get this video. Well, I mean, it'll hit here before it'll hit uh, online. If you're on YouTube, just regular subscriber, I'll make sure that I put everything down in the description. Um, and Ellie, it has been an incredible blessing to have you today. And I don't even know you. I can't wait to get to know more about you. I think there's other projects we might be able to connect on. I, I'm, I'm thrilled and I feel so blessed to have you on today. I want to tell you what I tell all my, my, all my guests that we are with you and God is for you. Well, it's been an incredible blessing for me too. So I'm very thankful that you had me on. Absolutely. Well, if you've been listening through the entire video, which many of you have and do, I want to thank you for doing such. Uh, there are some other guests I've got coming up that I'm excited about. Uh, Mark De Jesus, um, I found him on YouTube. Anyway, we're going to be talking about bitterness. And so I'm really trying to string together a theme of brokenness to healing, bitterness to forgiveness. Again, there's I'm, I'm noticing in this community, I'm attracting people who've been stuck for a very, very long time. And this is a resource I'm really looking forward to making sure that is out there. Others as well. Um, I, I'm really excited about the spirit helping us to move forward because I think many of us have been waiting for that for a very long time. I will see you next time.